0: Well, we are talking about a Monday morning faith, because we're convinced that faith is not just something to be kind of segmented into a couple hours on Sunday morning or a few moments in a devotional time, but it is to touch, it is to impact, it is to affect every single area of our life. And so we've been talking about what that might look like on Monday morning. We talked a couple weeks ago about what that might look like as we, we bring that to bear uh, in the family relationships of our life. Last week we looked at what that might uh, look like when we bring faith to show up uh, in the way that we approach our work or our labor. Uh, And this morning, I want to talk about something that uh, my my guess is most of us are going to be able to identify with in one way, form, or fashion, and that is the whole issue of busyness, of busyness. And and it's kind of amazing sometimes to look back and see what futurists were kind of predicting and what the experts were saying, this is what life's going to look like in a few years. And Because when you do, it always gives you pause uh, for some of the predictions you're hearing. Today. Fortune magazine uh, wrote, it seemed like simple math. In the decades after World War II, American workers were becoming ever more productive. With technology reducing the need for manual labor and better skilled workers producing more and less time, many assumed work weeks would fall to 24 hours, if not lower. People in the future would fret about their abundance of leisure. There was testimonies before Congress about, uh, about how uh, the, the challenge was going to be, what people were going to be doing with all of their leisure time. A famous 1959 Harvard Business Review article argued that boredom Once the province of aristocrats was quickly going to become the curse of the common people. And I pause to ask, how many of you have that experience, right? (laughs) Your work week has dropped to 24 hours or less and your Your biggest question is what to do with all of your leisure time and how you're going to battle boredom along the way. The opposite seems to be true, right? We're busy people. Studies tell us that uh, even though 86% of folks that are in the workforce full-time work 40-plus hours a week, they still say they don't have time to get everything done on the job. Only 57% of Americans use all of their allotted vacation time on a yearly basis. Look at the, the issue of sleep. Studies are telling us more and more we are not, as Americans, getting enough sleep. In fact, is we tend, as Americans, to average one to two hours less per night than we actually recommended that we have, and we're starting to see that show up. It's showing up in obesity and diabetes and lack of concentration and efficiency. It's showing up in increased levels of anxiety and depression along the way. And then... You add kids to the equation, right? And your life kind of hypers up uh, in some other levels of business. I like the way that the comedian Jim Gaffigan talks about it. They have four kids. And he was once asked, he he said, what was it like to go from three kids to four kids? And his answer was, he says, Well, imagine that you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. That's kind of what it was like when we added that that fourth kid to the equation. It just gets, gets worse, right? Well, if we can hesitantly project into the future, it doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon. The New York Times did an article, and they talked about even vacation. And they said, you know, vacation used to be like an on-off switch. Kind of like when you left, you turned it off and you were done. You you kind of were out for a while. But now because of the connectedness that we have because of technology, they said it's no longer an on-off switch. Now it's it's a dimmer switch. And about the best that we get on vacation most of the time is we, we turn it down just a little bit, but we don't get to turn it off and yet we, in light of all of that we as americans tend to wear busyness as a badge of honor right it's kind of been funny just even listening over the past couple of weeks knowing this uh, this uh, message was coming up as uh, just when when we talk to people ask hey how you doing and one of our go-to responses is busy good i'm busy it's good but i'm busy I'm crazy busy. Or this just a busy stretch. Or, you know, just kind of a busy season. I mean, busyness we kind of wear as this badge of honor. And maybe, maybe you kind of feel a little bit like Todd Stoker. He said, he said, I wanted to figure out why I was so busy, but I couldn't find the time to do it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, had, I was so busy, I knew I needed to figure this out, but I could never find time to sit down and figure out why I was busy. And it would be kind of humorous. If it wasn't a realization that there are negative side effects to all that busyness. It impacts our health. It impacts our families. And yes, it impacts even our walk with God. Professor Brian Kaplan of, of George Mason University talked about a study where kids were interviewed uh, about their, their homes, and it was interesting. They kind of expected that the kids would say, "We want more time with our parents," but that's not what they actually were asked for. They actually said, "We wish our parents weren't so stressed and so prone to anger." And the conclusion of the study was that in many American homes, that children are suffering from what they called secondhand stress. Uh, The the, the, the pace of life, the busyness of life, all the things where we're kind of passing that along. And as a follower of Christ, busyness can sap our joy. It can inhibit our capacity to love God and to love others, and certainly to hear from God. When Jesus told the parable of the soils, he talked about the seed that went into the soil and first sprang up, but then... Kind of the weeds, the stuff of life, the cares and concerns eventually choked the life out of that plant. And it was no longer fruitful and flourishing. And that's what busyness can do. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you on the front end that I don't write this as an expert. I don't teach as an expert, okay? This is like a fellow struggler sharing with you. In fact is, this, this message, I ran it this two or three different ways before kind of settling on this, and just, that just didn't work. That I don't know that's where we need to go. And so I don't come as like, hey, I got this all figured out. <laughs> so let me just share with you some of the things that maybe I'm looking to to help in the midst of the struggle. And kind of the one statement I, I want to just stick at the front here and hopefully it'll maybe help us as we just walk through this together, is simply this. Am I driven by fear or am I directed by God? Am I driven by fear or am I directed by God? Because that makes a huge, huge difference in the way that we approach and in the way that we do life you can still be very busy and be directed by god but the experience of that internally and externally is going to be very very different so what do i mean being driven by fear let's let's think about some of the fears that can drive us and maybe you can identify with one or more of these sometimes we're driven by the fear of i won't have enough i won't have enough i won't have enough to provide i won't have i don't have enough saved I don't have enough to be able to, to take this trip or do this. I won't have enough for retirement. I won't have enough. I don't have enough. Whatever is enough. And sometimes we can't. If somebody na- nails us down and what's enough? We can't even answer that question. We just know we don't have enough. And, and so we're driven by this need for more, this need for more. Sometimes I just I won't be successful that we we hold up success and we have ideas and uh, concepts of what what it means to be a success success in business success in life success in our family uh, maybe we inherited some of those from from our family of origin or maybe it's from the the culture or the company we keep or or maybe we're looking at pictures on social media and we feel like they look like they're more successful and so we we have this drive that that i need i need more i need to do more I need to get more. I need to achieve more. And again, we have to ask, what does it mean to be a success? Who defines success? How do you define success? Sometimes we're driven by a fear that I won't be accepted, that I won't be accepted, that if I don't show up, that if I don't do this, that I don't participate in this, if I don't say okay to this, if I don't take on that, I won't be liked, I won't be appreciated, I won't be accepted, I won't be led into those circles, I won't have these opportunities for this along the way. Somebody called this uh, FOPO, F-O-P-O, fear of people's opinion. And that Sometimes we live in, some of us are driven by ghosts from the past. And we got to earn somebody. Somebody from our past, a favor or acceptance or approval. Sometimes it's, it's, it's somebody around us. We're driven by this fear that I won't be accepted. Or I, I, maybe I'll fall behind. I'll fall behind. If I don't keep up, if I don't keep running, if I don't keep doing, I'm going to fall behind. Or as parents, as parents, don't we oftentimes feel this even more for our children, right? If, if I don't get my kid in this, if I don't have my kid in this, oh my goodness, look at what they're doing with their kid. If my kid's not in this and this and this, my kid is going to fall behind. Fall behind who? Fall behind What? Or just the whole category of I'll miss out. FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, right? That, that I'll miss out. And, and it is so hard because there are so many options. There are so many opportunities, right? There are so many choices to make. I mean, good gracious, you go to the cereal aisle in the grocery store and it's like, <laughs> I, there's too many choices, you know? I mean, oh my goodness. And so we we have this fear of missing out and we, we get glimpses of other people's lives and they seem to be doing this. And oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have that. I'd like to go there. And we feel like we are missing out. We come to the real that all of us are going to miss out on something because nobody can do everything. But there's this fear. And I think behind a lot of these fears is pride. It's pride. Pride in what we'll have or how we'll be seen or how we'll be perceived. Pride of I'm in control or I won or whatever it may be. And this pride so often drives These fears. And so as we walk through this message, I'm just going to ask you just to come back again and again to just say, am I driven by fears or am I directed by God? God, help me to even see what fears might be driving some of the behaviors and some of the choices in my life. So with that as the context, I I, want to talk to you about a principle to understand, uh, a priority to live, I want to give you a couple of promises that I hope will encourage you from God's Word and then talk about a place to begin before we kind of wrap this up. So let's start with a principle to understand. It's a very simple principle, and yet it's one that oftentimes escapes us in the reality of our day-to-day living. The psalmist kind of talked about it, wrote about it, prayed about it this way. Oh, Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. In the New Testament, James talks about our life as a vapor. It's a mist. It, it's just here for a while. In the 90th Psalm, there's the prayer, so teach us to number our days that we may get or we may gain a heart of wisdom. Don't miss that. There is this connection between wisdom and numbering our days. Between having wisdom for living and coming to grips with the fact that our days are numbered, that there is a measure to our days. So the principle could be stated like this, realizing my time is limited it helps me to limit what I choose to do with my time. Realizing my time is limited helps me to limit what I choose to do with my time. Sometimes we see that easier in money, right? We know we only have so much money. And because of that, I can't buy everything and do everything and spend money on everything. Because my money is limited, I must limit what I choose to do with my money. Now here's the thing, it's easier to get more money than it is to get more time. And so the beginning of wisdom is to realize my time is limited, and that helps me to limit what I choose to do with my time. We can say it a little more succinctly, counting my days will help me to make my days count. Counting my days will help me to make my days count. So when we talked about family, we had the marbles up here. Some of you were here a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the marbles representing the weeks. And, and there's something about counting those out. Counting my days will help me to make my days count. Kevin DeYoung put it this way. The person who never sets priorities is the person who does not believe in his own finitude. When we don't set priorities, we're living like we are limitless. We are living like there is not a limit to our time. And if there's not a limit to our time, we don't have to limit what we choose to do. But because my time is limited, it helps me to choose to limit my time, what I'm going to give my time to, what I'm going to do with my time. And so the beginning principle is, God, help me to count my days so that I can live in such a way that I make my days count, that I make my days count. That's the principle to live by. Now, here's the, uh, the priority to live. The priority to live. And to, to find that, I, I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10. And there's, there's this episode out of the life of Jesus. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time that you've heard it. Uh, maybe you, you just skipped over it or weren't familiar. Some of you, it's like you're very, very familiar with this. Maybe so familiar that you miss maybe the obvious in it here. It's Luke chapter 10. Jesus is busy. Jesus was busy, but it was not a busyness driven by fear, but it was busy directed. By the Father, and so he's sending out the seventy-two. He's teaching. He's he's confronting errors. He's he's uh, uh, th- th- challenging uh, people along the way. He's celebrating with the seventy-two. And then verse thirty-eight, he comes to a home, a home of some folks that he's come to love—Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Verse thirty-eight of Luke ten. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, sometimes when people read this, they say, well, Martha and Mary, they're just two different personalities. I mean, uh, Martha, she's just like an activist, and she's like, get in there and get it done. And, and Mary's a little more reflective, a little more contemplative, and they're just two different personalities. Or maybe they're just gifted differently. They got kind of to have different spiritual giftedness. You know, Martha has a gift of serving, and so she's expressing her love through serving and all of these things. This is not about personality. It's not about giftedness. It's about priority. God gave us a diversity of personalities, a diversity of giftedness. That's not what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is talking about a priority. Now, please hear, sometimes we can read this and feel like, well well, Martha's obviously like the, the, the bad person in this. Martha's not bad, but the Bible says she's distracted. <laughs> She's anxious, Jesus said. You're troubled about many things. Here's what I know. There are many of you who are sitting here right now, and you're distracted, right? You're you're trying. You say, Jeff, I'm really trying to hear what you're saying, but man, I've got so many things going on. And some of you, you're not just distracted, but you're feeling the weight of of anxiety, and, and, and you're troubled. It's not bad, but she was distracted. And for many of us, we can go day after day, week after week, month after month, and sometimes year after year living this way until it just begins to feel normal. I'm constantly distracted. I'm constantly anxious. I'm constantly troubled. And then we find Mary, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. This is, this is kind of interesting. Think about who showed up in their house, right? <laughs> this is Jesus, right? Jesus, who, <laughs> who he took a little boy's lunch and fed several thousand people, right? I mean, do you think he was really worried about what the hors d'oeuvres were going to be that day? Right? You know, get with it, Martha. Right? No. No. Martha's distracted and anxious and troubled, but Mary, Mary, she's not lazy. She's not uncaring, but she has in this moment chosen the better way. Now, please hear, that wasn't uh, probably the opinion of Martha, right? I mean, Martha comes up and says, Mary, but she didn't even address Mary. It's like, I'm going over your head, right? Lord, I already know Mary doesn't care. But don't you care, <laughs> right? And it's almost like tattling on your sister here, right? Don't you care? She's left me alone. Tell her then to help me. Tell her to get busy with me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mary's not lazy. She's not uncaring. If the culture of that day tells us anything, she's probably had ample opportunity to have to serve. And my gut is that if Jesus said, I need a cup of cold water, she'd have sprang up and got it. But she has, in this moment, chosen the better way. Now, please don't miss here what's being said. Jesus is not saying, don't work he's saying, don't start there. We saw last week, we spent time last week looking at the high value that God places on our work and our labor. He's not saying, don't work. He's saying, don't start there. Don't let the default be, just get busy. Just start doing things. But Yes, there'll be a time to work, but don't start there. Start at the feet of Jesus. So we come to ask a question, and the primary question is not what needs to be done. Now, that's a fair question. That's a legitimate question. But the first question, the priority question is, what does he want me to do? Because in this world, there is never, ever, 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 ever going to be a lack of things that need to be done. I don't know about you, but my list never gets completed. It feels like a good week if I got more off than I added on, right? It never gets 100% completed. And if it starts to look that way, then I begin to think of a 100 things that I hadn't even thought of yet. The question is not what needs to be done. The first question. Is what does he want me to do? Now, in order to ask that question, we're gonna have to reframe some of our thinking. We're gonna have to understand that busyness does not necessarily equal importance or productivity. And this is where we tend to connect this in our culture. This is why we tend to wear busyness as a badge of honor. Because in many of our minds, busyness equals importance. If you are important, you are very, very busy. But interestingly enough, not only does Jesus talk about it, not only does Scripture talk about it, Peter Drucker, the management and leadership guru of many, many, many decades. I mean, for years he's been saying that you know, there's a difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And you really don't get credit for being highly efficient and highly busy doing things that don't matter. That you can spend your whole life being efficient. It's something that really doesn't matter and because of that you are not effective. Busyness does not necessarily equal importance or productivity. Right? Secondly, to come to understand that a busy life can often be a barren life. In fact, is sometimes busyness is a way to cover up emptiness. And we don't want to look in here. We don't want to face what's driving in here. We don't want to, want to deal with maybe even the stuff that the Lord wants us to deal with. And so my way of dealing with it is I just get busy. I keep loading stuff on. I keep saying yes. I keep doing all of these things because when I am busy, I don't have to deal with this stuff on the inside. I don't have to stop and think about what might be meaningful, what might be important, what I might need to wrestle with. And a busyness can sometimes be a way of covering up our emptiness. You can be busy, busy and be very, very barren. In fact, is for many of us in our culture, the barrier to a meaningful life is often not a lack of commitment. And I know we oftentimes talk about, you just got to be more committed. But actually, the barrier for many of us is overcommitment. Sometimes I hear folks in church leadership circles say, well, people just aren't committed. I've come to the conclusion yes, they're very committed they're just committed to a lot of different things and maybe too many things. I mean, just just look at what a sports team requires, the band requires. Look what dance or gymnastics or or scouts or whatever requires, right? I mean, my goodness, it's not a lack of commitment is that sometimes we're over-committed. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying we're committed. And sometimes over-commitment leads to meaninglessness. And so part of the art of living well is learning to say no to many small things so that you can say yes to a few big things. To learn that I'm going to have to say no to many, many small things. So that I can say yes to a few big things. Now obviously, there's something required to be able to do that. And what's required is you know what the big things are. You know what the things that really matter are. You have identified those. You have prioritized those. You're willing to protect those. Someone said that the secret to no is a stronger yes. (laughs) To have a yes that's strong enough that enables me to say no. I have to learn to say no to many small things so you can say yes to a few big things. Louis Giglio put it this way, Whatever you, whenever you say yes to anything, there's less of you for something else. Make sure your yes is worth the less. Would you just sit with that for just a moment? Whenever you say yes to anything, whatever you and I say yes to this week, because my time is limited, it helps me to limit what I choose to do with my time. Whenever I say yes to anything this week, what that means is there's less of me for something else. Make sure your yes is worth the less. Martha was busy. She was distracted, she was anxious, she was troubled. Mary chose the better starting point. She started at the feet of Jesus. So let me give you a couple promises and then we'll talk about this place to begin. The first promise comes from Jesus' teaching. As he's teaching there, the Matthew records this, uh, what we've come to know is the Sermon on the Mount. And and in Matthew 6, there's a portion where he's talking about uh, the things that trouble us. We're we're anxious. We're worried about uh, this, uh, clothing and uh, shelter, food, all these things. And in the context of, here's all the things you're worried about, he said, but, but in the midst of all the things that worry you, all the things that trouble you, all the things that distract you, but seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these other things that you worry about, all these other things that distract you will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The wisdom of the book of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And when you do, he says, I will make straight your paths. I will direct your way. So with those promises in mind, let me give you a place to begin. Okay? And the place to begin is to start at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. And I know some of you are thinking, are you kidding me? What a preacher answer, right? <laughs> right, that's it. That's the best you got. You know, again, honestly, I, try, I tried to approach this so many different ways. And we, we could have, I could have done like a time management seminar. And some of you all could have done it far better than I could have. We could have talked about all these tools and all these resources. And there's some great tools and great resources and great kind of hacks along the way. Uh, but it comes back to... What does he want you to do? And the only way I know to get there is to be at the feet of Jesus. To stop the activity long enough, Martha, to sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. I think there's a weekly rhythm to that. I think there's a daily rhythm to that. I think there can be a moment-by-moment rhythm to that as you just invite him to do your day with you. Try to have that conversation ongoing. But to sit at the feet of Jesus. And let me offer to you a, a way to maybe begin to do that in a way that may help start to address some of our busyness. And as you sit at the feet of Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to walk through what we're just going to call KISS, K-I-S-S. And I know some of you are immediately thinking that's keep it simple. I can't say the last word because every time I do, a parent writes me and says, we teach our children not to say that word. And so so I'm not going to say that. Keep it simple somehow. But that's not KISS that we're talking about today, all right? As you sit at the feet of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to think through KISS in this way. Lord, what is it that I need to keep? What is it that I need to keep in my life? There are some things in my life that absolutely God wants to be there. And I like, God just, I just need that affirmation. Hey, you're on target. You're in the right place. Keep doing what you're doing, right? Celebrate those. What do I need to keep? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, what do I need to improve? It's something that's in my life already, but it needs to be modified. It needs to be adjusted. And maybe, maybe that adjustment is you need to give a little more horsepower to it. You need to turn it up a few notches. You need to give a little more focus or a renewed focus to it. Maybe it's something that's like, okay, this is part of your life right now, but you know, in this season of your life, you need to dial that back. You don't need to spend quite as much time in front of that screen. Maybe not quite as much time with that hobby or this work or whatever it may be. I don't know. Let him tell you. What needs to be improved? It's something that's already in my life. Maybe I need to modify it in some way. Maybe I need to dial it up. Maybe I need to dial it back. Maybe it needs to be streamlined. Maybe it needs to be shared. Whatever it is, improve. And then the first S is to start. Jesus, I sit at your feet. Are there some things that aren't in my life that I need to start? Or maybe something that used to be in my life, honestly, I need to restart. There are some things that it's a priority of yours for my life, I need to start. I need to start. Maybe I start small, but I need to start. And then the last one, which I think maybe is the most challenging one for us, is what do I need to stop? Stop. Because quite honestly, for some of us, if we don't answer this question, we're not going to be able to do a whole lot with improve or start because we just don't have bandwidth. And I'm going to tell you, this is the hardest one. It's hard for an individual. It's hard for a family. It's hard for an organization. It's hard for a church. We can add stuff and add stuff and add stuff. But stopping something is really, really hard because somebody probably likes that. Somebody's attached to that. Somebody may even still be getting some meaning and good from that. And it's hard to stop. That's why I need the strength, the wisdom, and the courage that comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want to just add a couple things before I just kind of issue the challenge. And first is, you don't, like, get this set at 25 and say, I'm good for the next 70 years. <laughs> All right? This is, this is an ongoing thing. It's, it's constant. It's living. It tweaks. It adjusts. And so part of that should be freeing to you. Part of that would be to say, hey, this is maybe, maybe this is not in my life right now. But no for now doesn't mean no forever. There may be another season in my life where that'll be appropriate. Or it may be that, yes, there's something that God says, this is a priority for your life. And you say, I don't know. Can I run with this for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Yes for now doesn't mean yes forever. It just means I'm going to keep showing up at the feet of Jesus. And I'm going to keep asking him, what do I keep? What do I improve? What do I start? What do I stop? What do I keep? What do I improve? What do I start? What do I stop? And I allow him to lead me. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. So here's the challenge. Spend some time at the feet of Jesus and allow him to guide you through this kiss exercise. And it it may be for some of you just the first bold step is just going to be to figure out how can I start this? And you can start it just very simple, maybe just in a a 15-minute window just even to begin to just start to ask that question on a daily basis. But I think for some of us, perhaps we would be well-served to communicate with our family, to communicate with some others and say, how can I figure out, how can we figure out a time where we can get an hour, we can get two hours, maybe I could even get a half a day somewhere along the way, just to sit at the feet of Jesus and just have a paper, have pen, have a keyboard, have something, and just say, God, I want to sit before you, and in this season of my life, what do I need to keep What do I need to improve? What do I need to start? What do I need to stop? And then you want to take it to the next level. Invite somebody into that conversation. If you're married, invite a spouse. Invite a family member. Invite a friend or a small group to review this exercise with you. Why? Because there's wisdom and counselors in there. Why? Because sometimes things that are so difficult for us to see are so crystal clear to the other people in our life. And we begin to say, what do I need to keep? What do I need to improve? What do I need to start? What do I need to stop? And you're like, oh, I just can't figure this out. And they're saying, are you kidding me? Here it is. Because we can't see the forest for the trees. But they see it. They see it clearly. And it may be that God's gift is to have someone else speak into that in your life. Now, let me try to bring this back. I began with a question because it is still the key question. Am I driven by fear or am I directed by God? Am I driven by fear or am I directed by God? Maybe part of that exercise you begin to spend time in kisses is even to say, God, help me to see what's driving my behavior because i do want to be directed by you because what we find in the end the heart of the matter really is a matter of the heart isn't it in so many cases the busyness of our schedules is just a reflection of the busyness of our hearts the the stuff that's happening on the outside the whirlwind on the outside is a reflection of the disorder on the inside and that god wants to adjust our heart and out of a heart adjustment we can begin to move toward a schedule adjustment Jesus offered an incredible invitation to individuals who knew busyness, who knew even the definition of a relationship with God being defined by all of these rules and all of these obligations and all of these activities and he said to those people Now, that's, that's not a promise that everything's going to be just la, la, la. But it's an invitation. An invitation to let Jesus set the agenda. To take on his yoke for you and your life uniquely and individually. A well-fitting yoke made perfectly for you. And as you're yoked together with him... You find that which fits you perfectly and you find this supernatural strength as you're walking in tandem with Him to accomplish and do the things that He wants you to do. And in contrast to a busy heart driven by fear, you begin to experience a rest in your soul and it begins to be reflected in how you move through life. Jesus was so busy he moved from thing to thing to thing. But you see him saying no. You see him not being driven by fear, but being directed by his Father. And that's what he wants to do in my life and in yours. Last weekend, I came across this video clip. A friend shared it. It's of Tony Bennett, not the singer, but Tony Bennett, the head men's basketball coach at the University of Virginia. And it was right after his team won to make the final four last year, and they actually won again yesterday, sorry, Auburn fans. But uh, it was kind of a, a moment, but it was kind of made even more so because one year before, uh, Tony Bennett and, and the University of Virginia basketball team had a historic failure they were the only time a number one seed had ever been upset in the first round by a 16 seed in fact is early in this tournament when they were double digits behind gardner webb in the first round some folks were beginning to whisper whether he'd be fired if he had two consecutive historic failures but as he went to the final four He remembered something his dad, who was also a basketball coach, who got a team Wisconsin to the Final Four. And I thought it was just a great perspective that he had that I wanted you to hear it this morning. So here's just a portion of Tony Bennett's news conference from last weekend.
1: I know you were saying yesterday, which you've said before, that if the Final Four didn't happen, that you were at peace with it and that you could live with that. But when the buzzer rings, when you see your dad, when you're standing on Mm -hmm. the ladder and swinging it, was it everything you could hope it to be? Uh, it was great. I, th- we, we've said it before, uh, the joy of competition, the fun, and the pursuit of trying to win a championship. And uh, we didn't win a championship, but we got to the final four. And it, it, of course, it was exhilarating. It was great. Um, but I meant what I said. And it's easy to say up here, but I said it before. And I experienced things. Um, and, and I was at peace. But there was a burning desire to get these guys and our program to a Final Four and, and hopefully beyond. So, um, it, it's the moments are good, um, but I remember 19 years ago, I was sitting in the back of a press conference when my father took his team to um, the Final Four. They beat Purdue, and I memorized his quote. He said a quote that I've never forgot, and it stuck with me for that long. And they asked him, Is this one of the, the greatest feelings? Um, that you've ever had getting to the Final Four. And and he said this. He said, from a feeling state, euphoria, yes, it is. uh, But it doesn't compare with faith, with kids, family, grandkids. He said, because I know what truly matters, it enables me to enjoy what seems to matter like this. I've remembered that quote, and I've tried my best to live by it. I've wanted this program to honor what's important to me, my faith in these young men through success and through failure. that's what I've wanted. And, and he pointed me in the right direction. Um, as a competitor, you go after it, and you want to do it. Um, but in the bigger picture, you have to be at peace with both. That's just my, my viewpoint on it. So um, sorry for the long answer, but I think I'm glad I got the chance to say that.
0: Did you hear the quote? Because I know what truly matters, it enables me to enjoy what seems to matter like this. In a world that tries so hard to conform us into a mold, I don't hold out a whole lot of hope for myself or quite honestly for you to consistently know and live out what truly matters unless we are consistently at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. And so, my encouragement to you, learn all the time management hacks that'll help you. But the power is not in a better app or a better time management system. The power is in a man or a woman who consistently shows up at the feet of Jesus and consistently figures out how not to be driven by fear, but how to be directed. By the Father. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, thank you that every part of our life matters to you. Our family matters to you. Our work matters to you. And what we do with our one and only life, with the moments of our life, matter to you. And Father, we just pray, Lord, I know there's probably not anything startling brand new in these moments we've shared, but Father, it can be so fundamentally life-changing if we can live it out. And so, Father, we just ask you, would you, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom? Would you help us, Father, to count our days so that we can make our days count? (laughs) Lord, would you help us to begin to identify and own and reject those fears that so often drive us so that more and more we can be directed by the Father who loves us. and Father, would you help us to figure out in this season of our life, as busy as it is, and it will always be, how we can spend time at the feet of Jesus. Lord, show us what to keep. Show us what needs to be improved. Show us what we need to start or restart. Show us what we need to stop. Show us what truly matters. So that we can enjoy all of life, even those things that just seem to matter for a moment. And I'm just going to ask you to spend just these next two minutes in stillness. before.